This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, episode 48. Um, because I believe if you have only one source of knowledge or a group of knowledge, you only have a, a specific source of experiences. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Scott Caulfield. With me today, Bert Soren, president and co-owner of Soren X Exercise Equipment. Bert, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really Excited appreciate it. you're here. You're here for this TSAC uh, Leader Summit. We've got a real strong group of... Uh, you know, TSAC influencers, if you will. What do you, what's kind of without giving it away, I guess, too much? What are you guys, uh, you know, kind of delving into here? Well, uh, the TSAC, the um, tactical strength conditioning that's, that, you know, under the NSCA here, we've been very active in for just about since its inception, which, as you obviously know, but maybe the, all the listeners don't, um, dives into the survivability, durability, and training side of the tactical community, whether it be military, law enforcement, or fire. Um, that community is very close to my heart. A lot of my friends, uh, although I didn't serve, a lot of my friends did. And although I was an athlete, I'm finding a, a new love for people in the service um, because they're by by design they can't be selfish and i don't want to dive too far down a rabbit hole so early but regardless we've 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 been in this community a while and and i think we're able to come up with some great solutions so i was asked to be a part of the to basically sit in on uh, a seat at the table per se at the summit which they brought about 40 45 um coaches scientists uh, doctors that deal with the tactical population. And, uh, and then they brought in a few wild cards that were people that impact that community. And, uh, I'm thrilled that I was asked to be here. So it's, it's almost, almost surreal, uh, to be a, a peer with, with these folks. I'm certainly not anywhere near the smartest person in the room. I would say probably <laughs> the, the dumbest, if anything, yeah. but I've been able to learn a lot and, and hopefully able to give back uh, as much as we can in, in our way. And I think we have our strengths at Sorenex, but, um, and hopefully that, that we continue to show value to that community. So here doing that and Definitely. just getting to be downstairs and learn how do we make, how do we make these, uh, these fine men and women, uh, more durable and, and more effective. Nice. Yeah. It's exciting. And we're going to get into some of that stuff that you guys specifically are doing a little later. Um, for those people listening in that might not be familiar with you, I like to kind of kick off some icebreakers, make it a little more fun <laughs> and, uh, get back to, uh, some easy ones, but uh, how about what was your sports kind of when you were in high school? Coming, what were you? Uh, um, I wrestled for a little while until I started losing too much weight, and I was always a skinny kid to start with. And but my first love of any type of sport was weightlifting. So when I was wrestling, they wanted me to weigh less and less and less. I think they wanted me to weigh like 112 pounds. I was six feet tall or six one. I was like, yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> you know, I already have a hard time gaining weight. I don't need to lose it. So I bagged that um, and then just started lifting. Basically, that was my love. It, it was awesome. was lifting, whether it be power lifting, uh, oily lifting. I did a couple competitions during that time. And I was, I've always been in the outdoors, kind of an, uh, an individual sport person. So I live near a lake. <clears throat> so shirt, shirt and shoes off, basically yeah. tromping around in the woods. And then later in my high school career, got into throwing the discus. Um, that was what my dad had done, how he had earned a scholarship to the University of South Carolina 25 years before. And so uh, I got into that because I, I enjoyed it. And it was kind of the, that scientific side of taking the training, taking the strength gains and turning them into something. So awesome. I was a discus thrower. Nice. We got we got more stuff to talk about there. Too. <laughs> uh, I know you've been a lot of different places. If we're trying to keep up with you on social media now, you might be in a different uh, state <laughs> every month. But what's the favorite favorite state you've ever been to in your life? Or country could be outside of the sure, world. sure. Um, I really like the West. I just love the freedom. I love the. I mean, it's awesome out here in Colorado Look. Springs. Uh, it's just I love the mountains. I love the rawness and and the um, 
the trueness of it, meaning that if you screw up, it's going to, it's going to pound you. Um, I, I've been to Alaska a time or two. I'm actually going next week, probably Alaska because it's so wild and it's so, it's so harsh and it's so true. It's such an adult dose nice. that, that just kind of, that makes me where I have to be better. Yeah. And, and I, I love Alaska's hard to beat. Awesome. I haven't been that far. I got to get there because every every place I've lived farther west, I've enjoyed. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Enjoy I it more go. and more. Yeah, more. it's been sure. better and better. How about this? Is a little interesting one that I ask people. But if you could only do one lift yourself, not for athletes, not that you'd recommend anybody. If you can only do one thing for the rest of your life, what exercise? What lift would that be for you? Um, probably a deadlift variation, if not just a regular deadlift, maybe a deadlift lockout, uh, uh slightly higher. I'm a, I'm a kind of tall six, three. So the low deadlift position, um, kind of tweaks my low back. If I do it too much, uh, I love a deadlift because I don't need a spot. I could drop it if I need to. Uh, it's extremely functional. It works everything. And, um, I mean, you look back into uh, the mid 1800s, they had a de uh, I can't remember who exactly who it is. I don't want to miss misspeak on this, but uh, he called it the health lift. Yeah. And it was a it was a deadlift lockout variation that right. this man would do every day, every morning. It was between three and four hundred pounds. He would do one or two reps. And that was just his buy in every day. Yeah. And he called it the health lift health lift because we what he realized was and he had this. 25 things that he found from okay. doing this that actually Dr. Terry Todd, who recently just oh, yeah. passed, yeah. Uh, cited all of these um, findings in his doctoral thesis from 1967 that oh, I just wow. read. Wow. And, and it's crazy because you could read, you could read them and it sounds like some uh, a strength professional today talking about the benefits of weightlifting. And then you realize it was, you know, 170 years ago, this guy figured it out from doing deadlift partials. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Deadlifts are hard to beat. Yeah. I think I'd agree. Uh, like you said, as functional as it gets, like, and especially like when we're talking about tactical populations, police, sure. fire, military, if you pick somebody up and drag someone or, and you're going to end up probably picking something off the ground. And <laughs> how many human. people, yeah, if you, if you live long enough, <laughs> you're going to pick up something. Heavy. And how many times do we hear about somebody? Oh, I tweaked my back, you know, sure. Whatever. Yeah. 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 Take care of your back. You only get one. <laughs> yeah. And strength is never a weakness, right? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Um, I want to go back to the, when you kind of touched on it, throwing the discus in college, just cause I did, you know, hear this story from you the other day. Um, and it was just super cool, but you talked about kind of going to, <laughs> going to college and walking on the track team sure. and just getting the reality of like, <sighs> right base. And your coach kind of told you like, look, you're at the bottom <laughs> yeah. and either you're going to get up or get out basically. Right. <laughs> right. That's, I still have a, such a, a love for, for the throwing events because they gave me so much in life. And so I walked on to the University of South Carolina onto one of the better throws programs in the nation during the time. This was 1994 in the fall. It was right on the cusp of being one of the powerhouse throws programs. And I, I didn't know it. I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. I went to South Carolina, honestly, as a second choice in school. I was going to go there for a couple, you know, semester transfer out. So I did what every good college boy that's finally away from home that's not an athlete does. So I drank and partied for like the first six days of yeah. school. And then the last day I was like, you know, I just feel like crap. I need to go lift. So called my dad and, and I knew we had made the weight room at the University of South Carolina for the football room. I said, hey, I know they have good stuff down there. Would you mind giving the coach a call? See if I could train there. This is again, this is the 90s when you could pull stuff like yeah, this yeah, off. Yeah. So he said, sure. He uh, gives uh, um, Rock Oliver a call. He said, yeah, no problem. Come down after the athletes are done. Well, again, I'm 17 years old. I don't pay attention to detail. So I just go down there after lunch. Yeah. Um, I don't realize it, but if anyone's been in a college weight room in August, the first week of, of school, the weight room is completely slammed, especially when there's only one on campus right. Right. at two o'clock in the afternoon. That's yeah. like the high yeah. time I walk in there. Don't say anything to anyone. Look around. There's a couple hundred athletes in there. I walk over to the platform, load up an Elico bar and start doing cleans. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> I got a great place to train. So I look over and some people are doing some vertical jump testing. I said, man, that looks cool. Uh, I'd like to do that, you know, because at my high school, they never did yeah. that. 
So I went over and got, you know, did my measurement and jumped up, touched 29, 29 and a half. I was like, all right, I guess that's good. I don't know if it's good or not. And they're like, yeah, pretty nice. I walk off. I go back to, I think I start benching. And then I look over and they're doing body fat testing. I said, that looks cool too. <laughs> <laughs> so I go over and uh, there's a gentleman sitting down and he's in this little office and I walk up and kind of get in line. And, and again, I think it's like an amusement park. Right, you right. can just ride all the rides <laughs> if you want to. And so I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I walk up and I pull up my shirt to do the, the, the test. And he goes, okay, what's your name? I'm thinking, you're not supposed to ask that. You're supposed <laughs> to just do the test and I get to play this game, you know? And, uh, I, I told him and he said, well, what sport? And I, I, I of course started doing some white lies. I said, well, track and field, I was going to walk on in the spring, which was totally false. <laughs> I was just trying to make this guy stop talking to me. And he goes, Oh really? What do you throw or what do you do? And I'm like, oh, this guy keeps asking questions. <laughs> I said, I shot put in discus thrower. I wasn't very good in high school, but I was thinking about walking on thinking I'm going to shut this yeah, yeah, argument down right now. <laughs> and he goes, well, how far did you throw? And I'm like, <laughs> I told him and it was like 44 feet and 132. He goes, well, that's not very far. And then I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm kind of like mad at this yeah, point. I'm like, yeah, yeah. all right. Yeah, I know. I already told you I wasn't very good. <laughs> and he goes, well, uh, practice starts tomorrow. I'm Larry judge. I'm the throws coach at university of oh, South wow. Carolina. And I'm like, out of all the people I could lie to yeah, on campus, right. it was the guy that could call <laughs> me on it. And he said, okay, exactly what distance those distances right, were. Right. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. BS him at all. And I, so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll try to make it coach. And he said, no, if you're going to be on the team, you will make it. And, and I said, well, isn't it a spring sport? He goes, you're in college now, son. This is how this works. And I said, okay. And I walked off and I, and I went back to my dorm and I didn't have a cell phone because it was that long ago. And I called my dad. He goes, how'd you work? I go, I go, I think I walked onto the track team. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, really? And now preface this with my dad was one of the highest recruited discus throwers ever at the university of South Carolina. Right. So like he had the legacy. I'm just some guy that right. sucked. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he goes, were well, you going to do it? I said, yeah, yeah, why not? I'll show up and see what's about. Yeah. And, um, you know, long story short, uh, five years later, um, I was team captain, sec record holder, four time all American, and my life had completely changed. Yeah, that's super cool. So what, I mean, this might open up a can of worms, but like, <laughs> what, what did you, what did you have to learn at that point from that next day in going into those oh, guys man. to end up being, you know? I learned um, uh, probably the most I've ever learned in my life. So <clears throat> going into it a little bit further, so I show up and I, I, again, I'm terrible. Everyone else there is a scholarship or at least a recruited walk on. And we got to the weight room. Uh, and the first day they, Larry judge literally made me lift with on the girls rack because I wasn't as strong as the recruited guys. And he told me, he said, when you could, when you could lift more than Don and Lisa, Don Ellerby and Lisa Misapeka, who at one time were number two in the world in the hammer, uh, in the indoor hammer and, and on, on American soil, when you're stronger than them, you could go lift with the guys. And I remember to this day, I had to squat 365 for five reps that day. And that I beat Lisa by five pounds. And that was the only way I graduated <laughs> off that rack. Now I weighed like 185, 200 pounds, which is pretty strong. Yeah. But again, she was like 200 pounds and a female and was, yeah. you know, smoking some big weights. So I learned really quickly that that genetics are there, there are genetic freaks in this world. Yeah. And there are people considerably better than any other humans I've ever seen strength wise, size wise, these people were enormous. They were, they were recruited. They, right. These people had won state championships and national championships. I never met anyone like yeah, this yeah. before. And I was absolutely enthralled. And it was just, I, I, I mean, I'm talking to all Americans. Right. That's a thing. And then I realized one day, wait a minute, if they could do that, there's a chance I could do that. And that was so far beyond my capacity of what my mind had ever held my athletic career in. Yeah it immediately, I was hooked more than any other drug I imagine yeah. you could ever be hooked on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I trained, uh, you know, everyone says they trained really hard, whatever. Um, still to this day, a lot of those coaches are like, yeah, you, you trained harder than anyone we've yeah. ever had because I had to catch up. Right. I was 172 right. pounds at yeah. six feet two trying to be a division one sec thrower. Yeah. And they said, you got to gain weight, you got to get strong. And so my life revolved around gaining weight and getting strong and throwing far. Um, you know, it, I believe you've heard one story. So I came back my freshman semester and of course, of course I went the whole gaining weight, getting strong, uh, idea. 
And then I came back for my freshman fall semester um, with horrible grades. And so I get yeah. get into the team meeting and coach uh, Greg Kraft, <clears throat> he was the head coach at the time. He pulls, he's Soren, come on over. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, this guy knows my name. This is awesome. You know, because I'm a little walk on guy. Right, right. I'm, I'm Rudy, basically. <laughs> like, literally, they used to call me Rudy. Yeah, nice. And I would have to go pick up all the water for practice. Yeah. Like I was kind of the manager slash right. the guy that they didn't mind being around. Yeah. yeah that much uh so he calls me over and he said hey soren i said hey coach you know he's like good to have you back he said i got your your um your uh um report cards you got an a a b a c a d and an f my first semester in college i said yeah he goes well you trying them all out i said well (laughs) not necessarily but uh he said listen and it was probably the best conversation that i've ever certainly at that time had ever been given so He said, listen, he said, you seem like a nice guy. People seem to like you. Dad was a great athlete here. That's all fine. You're a local boy. I like it. It's great. But your grades are terrible and you're not throwing far. I think you could throw far potentially sometime. You're pretty tall. You seem like you like it a lot, whatever. There's a potential there. He goes, but we didn't recruit you. We didn't ask you to be here. Your value on this team is determined by two things. You throw really far and score at the SEC championships or possibly the the NCAAs, or you get really good grades and you bring up the average of the team average of the academic scores. So the people who are really good at athletics, we could cover for those guys a little bit. (laughs) He goes, so those are the two things that you're here for right now. You're doing neither get your together or leave. And it was the first time, first of all, that an adult had ever talked to me like that. And it hit me right between the eyes and it made me a little sick. And I walked off going, am I in trouble? Right. And I didn't know if I was in trouble. And then I realized, no, he's just being very honest with you and authentic. And he's telling you exactly what you need to do to stay off the hot seat and exactly what you need to do to be, to be competitive on this team, to be valuable. And if I took it emotionally too much and said, well, he's being mean right. or he's doing whatever, I would have probably quit. Yeah. But when I said, oh, those are the two things I need to do. Yeah. And then it's cool. And it, I, I like to say it did it right away, but I didn't. Yeah. But the next semester was a little better. I threw a little farther yeah. and I got a little a little better grades and to the point where, again, my last year I was had four, three point seven in semesters in a row and all each one I got all American like I was just hammering it but what I noticed was how you do anything is how you do everything and once I decided that success mindset and being accountable and being uh, that someone could rely on me and and all of that started cracking because originally my thought was I'm not going to care about school and I'm just going to do just enough to get out of trouble and then throw really far and be kind of like a professional athlete it doesn't work if you on you got to be on and what I noticed later was, wow, when I throw really far, the coaches love me and I I get all the best cool stuff. And then when I get really great, great grades, they love me and they don't give me any, any grief. And I kind of do what I want. And now this is pure freedom. It's kind of like Jocko Willink talks about like discipline equals freedom. Well, when I do all the great stuff, I kind of run the joint. This is great. And it was a huge uh, thing to teach me early on. And, you know, a couple of those conversations, I can't ever, I, there's no dollar value I could put right. on that. Right. And, and that's, I have to thank a coach for just being real. And I, and I don't know if that's something you could still do in coaching. Right. Right. <sighs> but I, I'll tell you, it was valuable. And I've, I've had to do it sometimes with my employees and, yeah. and, and, you know, even friends like, Hey, here's the deal. Yeah. Um, so it's a long-winded answer, right. no, but awesome. uh, but that was kind of my my experience in college, and then I went on to throw for a couple of years after that. Yeah, that's a that's a great story or great takeaway too, because and I'm it's nice to hear you say that you still have had those conversations because I don't think everyone today gets that same kind of real talk or honesty all right. the time, right? And we we say, well, this generation, this or that, but to some degree, people people aren't being as either as critical or as honest with people as they need to be. Cause right. I've had a similar conversation with, with an intern and it just reminds me because he came back to me. We had kind of, I kind of broke it off to him a little bit at mm-hmm. his mid point. And he said, no one had ever yeah. told him that before. No one yep. ever critiqued him that hard. And he thanked me for it time, at, uh, you know, farther down the road. Wonderful. But it was like, yeah, no one ever told me that 
I wasn't that good at like, yeah. everyone told him he did a great job. Right. <laughs> and, and someone finally just told me that you suck yeah. by the val- <laughs> by, by the criteria we, we're, we're judging you right. on. You are an F yeah. in both categories. I don't care. And he literally said, he goes, I don't care how much the people on the team like you. Yeah. The girls seem to like you. Right. You're a nice guy, but that's not what you're right. judged on. <laughs> and man, that was, that was a life changer. That's cool. And, and I talk about all the time. If, if you don't realize that, whether it's in your current job, your coaching profession, or relationships or whatever, as I say, you'll get frustrated or fired very fast. Yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. either, you'll either overvalue yourself yeah. and, and then wonder why no one else gets it. Well, yeah. if no one else gets it, yeah. maybe you're the one not getting it. Right. right. Yeah. Well, Martin, uh, my buddy, Martin Rooney says, uh, he said, you, you better be fired with enthusiasm or you'll be fired with enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, uh, You were around a lot of good athletes, as you mentioned. Um, Are there some kind of, uh, who have went on to do really cool things too, are there common traits that you saw in those people that, you know, that you emulated and that you saw what made them successful that sets them apart? Absolutely. Um, I would say the two that come to mind the, the quickest and the most vibrant would be one, obviously positivity. I've never seen a champion who's generally negative. Um, maybe there are out there. I just haven't sure. seen it. And I, as in positivity, meaning they always believe there's a shot there. They always believe that winning is not in even only going to happen. It may be not, not going to happen, but they realize it's always a high potential if they do their thing and they know they want the ball. They give me the ball with the buzzer. I know I could yeah. do this. Yeah. And I was around athletes that <clears throat> couldn't do that and they never lived up to their potential. And then I was around athletes that blew their potential out of the water. And, and Adam Nelson was one of them. I believe he was a keynote speaker for the NSCA not too yeah. long ago. And I remember just being around him and he was one of the most positive people I've ever been around. And, and it, it was almost, almost felt it was fake, mm-hmm. but it was this, this mindset he'd created and almost like a third party, this just crazy kind of deal where he, he created this, this storm of emotion and of this, this self-talk that he just believed that every throw was going to be the one he believed that every time he stepped in the ring in one and a half rotations, that ball was going to come out and go the world record, Hmm. no matter what the last one did, no matter what day it was, no matter what. And and it was shocking to me that how can the guy, because every time it doesn't happen, that's evidence to the contrary, right? You know? And then it's like, okay, one out of a thousand throws, one of a thousand one throws. And then after a while you're like, okay, is this the, the, the betting man would say, okay, this probably isn't going to happen, Adam, but every throw would, you know, every year he'd throw a little bit further, a little bit further. And he always used to say, today's a great day to throw. And I love that. And just being around guys and and girls like that, that just had that mindset or, or Judd Logan, who I, he's a head uh, track coach at Ashland university, four time Olympian in the hammer he's probably one of the most amazing coaches I've been around in my entire life. And, and he told me something, and I guess is the second part of that. So I believe positive thought is, is number one curiosity. It would be two and curiosity. I believe keeps you pushing and pushing the edges and finding all the little rabbit holes or loopholes or whatever they may be that you're always trying to fight for that last inch to figure out what's the next. And that's, that's what the NSCA is. It's, it's, it's what's you're curious of how do we harness this science of human performance? How do we understand it? How do we then push the field further? And if you're not curious about that, then you're complacent. And Judd told me, he said, you know, 90% of my programming is, remains constant. I figured it out. I know it works. Right. Now, this is a guy, again, four Olympics. He's probably, whether it's him or one of his athletes, I want to say since 1984, he's had he, him or one of his athletes in an Olympics. Yeah. I mean, just a dynasty. Yeah. And he says, 90% of what I do is, is I've known, he goes, but I spend 90% of my time trying to figure out the last 10%. Okay. Nice. And he's, 
you know, 55, 60 years old. And, yeah. and still I get texts from him. Hey, tell me about this. Yeah. The new thing that just came out. Hey, t- I'm thinking, Judd, you forgot way more than right. all or most right. coaches will ever know, yeah. but he's going to try it. He's going to put his own money towards it. He's, yeah. he's going to turn over every rock to figure out what works because the journey for him and the process for him and the curiosity is what keeps him young and keeps him excited. Yeah. And I see that. And, and that just speaks to my heart. And, yeah. and I just go, yes, that's who I want to be. I want to be yeah. the old guy in the front row at the conference at 65, 70 years yeah. old, still bright eyed and going, the next thing is going to get it. Today's yeah. a good day yeah. to throw. Today's yeah. a good day to lift. Today's a good day to learn. And I think if you lose that, you need to either look at yourself or you probably need to seek a new profession. Because yeah. once, once, once that happens, it's, it's poison. It's poison yeah. within your system. I love it. I love that. Especially the, the kind of knowing the foundation. Like, you know, this program works. Sure. And now I'm going to take some other. I'm not going to change the program every time I learn something new. We're not going to the foundation, squat. right? Yeah, we know what works, and we know how. Sure. Now we're going to find others. That's yeah. That's such and a the great majority lesson. of the time is spent doing that other stuff because right. you don't need to rework. Yeah, we're going to pull. We're going to squat. We're yeah. going to press. We're going to great. Now what? Yeah. Now how? How? What recovery? What? Um, what technology to capture and manage our data? Like all those little things, and, and when that keeps pushing forward, and sometimes you get the big breakthrough that changes that ninety percent. Sure. But if you're not looking, right, right, then then this whole field is for naught. Yeah, absolutely. Then then just buy a program out of a off, offline or a magazine, follow it. Yeah, just right, right. Buy numbers and yeah, be done with it. Reminds it. me of the other like kind of cliche. It's like you know, there's a difference between 20 years of experience and one year of experience repeated 20 times. Right. You know, like people yeah. that haven't changed. And, um, so did you know when you were come when you went to college and were getting out of college did you know that like I'm going to go be president of Sorenex exercise equipment because like, that was that the plan all the, along the plan or? was to to I would say probably close junior year I knew that I, I was I was in the teaching track I was going to teach or coach and I hate to say I got out of it because I started seeing all the paperwork mm-hmm. and the handcuffs that the coaches and teachers were yeah. under and where the world was going with that. And I, and I, I had the utmost respect for coaches because in many ways I, I, I'm shocked that you guys are able to <laughs> deal with the bureaucracy yeah. at times. Both my fam, both my parents were educators, both of my coaches and teachers. So and in talking to them, it was like, well, we used to be able to do this. We used right, to be able to, right. and that was kind of the mindset I was brought up in. And so I would, I just felt that, that my curiosity, my passion and my gifts would be stifled in a system like that. Yeah. Um, and of course I love strength and I, and I was starting because of my journey to throw further, I turned over every rock and I had that curiosity and I found that Sornex was a way that I could continue to do it. And if I came up with some really great things, then maybe other people could enjoy it. But it also gave me an, an, an ability under the, under the, the flag of Sornex that now I had an open door to some of the greatest minds in the world when it comes to training. So that was self self feeding in many ways because I was still throwing, uh, and two more Olympic trials after college. So I was still chasing that rabbit, but because of Sorenex, I was able to talk to some of the greatest minds and they were invested, uh, although slightly in my success. So I was in an awesome position. So I kind of, I knew I was going to go that direction. And, um, I think it honestly just worked out really well timing wise because that was, I graduated 99. So the, the mid to late nineties, if you remember is what I would say is when human performance side kind of really cranked up. Um, if for, especially from a barbell power production standpoint, uh, private training facilities, like that whole model kind of really came together prior to that you had more of the bodybuilding it was more of the machine world yeah. and that type of thing commercial gym commercial yeah. gym right yeah. so what i found myself kind of being spit out onto the highway of our industry rather armed to the teeth yeah. because i just got out of of and i was still in okay. high level track and field training yeah. where i was interviewing the best coaches in the world i was doing it daily yeah. my body was my lab rat so I was, I just kind of hit the right wave. Yeah. You know, I just happened to graduate right at the right time where my skill set was about to be very valuable. Right. Um, you know, I thank God every day. And I talked to my wife sometimes. If, if I had to graduate in 1984, right. 
I, w- I would have literally been the power guy graduating into a, a Nautilus culture. Yeah. Yeah. I would have missed my window. Yeah. You know, or if I graduated now, well, there's a lot of me's out there now, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. but I just kind of hit it right. And, you know, we, I was at the kind of the beginning of the, the bands and the chains and we were doing that stuff before many people knew about it and accommodating resistance or velocity sensor units. You know, we were, I was the first, uh, Sornex was the, the first dealer for the Tendo unit back in 2002. We were writing and, and playing with different, um, a common, a, a different auto regulation conjugate methods that I was writing in 2005, nice. you know, Brian Mann and I used to talk, you know, yeah. of course he's taken it to a whole nother level, sure. yeah. but those early days, you know, Brian was asking me stuff. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. again, it was, he, he, he was asking me a little, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, make yeah. sure yeah. I, I quantify <laughs> that, but you know, to, to, but it all came down to the positive curiosity aspect of it. I had to figure out how to get better. I was still that under undersized athlete that was playing catch up that I had to figure out how to play with the biggest guys in the world at a sport that I loved. So I think I just wanted it worse, wanted it more than anyone. Yeah. And then you, I mean, and then that's kind of the same time that the company is growing, right? So you're talking about also trying to learn more, be better, do better, but your company also was probably the smallest company on the block. At oh, that by time far. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. We were still literally, you know, maybe not a mom and pop, but a, a, a son and pop yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was, it was two of us and we yeah. just had a couple little things going and, you know, we started in 1980 in a, in a garage right. and the, the intent was never to take over the strength world. It was right. never to. Uh, I mean, it was, my dad was, he was a strength athlete. He loved strength. I mean, he loves strength and human performance even more than I do. He's made his life around it. Um, and his, it was a cover charge for him to work in the world that he loved, you know? And again, 1980, you're talking about a barbell guy working in the the height of the machine world. And, and that was part of the struggling in those days because he was going to remain into what he was, what he believed in. And I remember going back to 1992, I was in high school and I was doing high pulls and my high school coach that was in our weightlifting class, he said, Hey, stop doing them that fast. Anyone can do that much weight if you cheat like that. And he thought I was doing an upward row and I was doing a a clean grip high pull at 15 years old. And and I kind of went home and of course I'm using my legs and triple extension like you're supposed to, but that was the education level. And he he thought I was doing an upward row and and wanted me to slow down and feel the burn. I went home and I told dad that, and he goes, well, (laughs) kind of backhandedly, he said, ask your coach, he says, tell your coach that I'll let you lift slow when you tell me a sport that it's better to be slow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was 1992. I have yet to, uh, <laughs> to change, but so that was his mindset and that was what he was always pushing. And so, you know, I, I was thankful. I'm thankfully in a, in a position in time where I could start growing Sornex from a, a re ignited pulse on what was happening in the training world like as it was happening, I just happened to be there doing it yeah. too. Um, but strangely enough, it didn't really, really take off until I retired from sport because time, yeah. time that you're training is time right. that you're not right. managing <laughs> the real business side yeah, of it. And that was, sure. it was vital, uh, for our history, but for the business to grow, you know, pe- people get into business cause they like what they're doing. They don't get into business cause they like business yeah, and I don't right, really like right, business. Right. I've, I found myself having to get better at it because when you have employees and you have right. production facilities and you have marketing divisions, you have to get into that. Yeah. But I couldn't continue to be a professional athlete yeah. after work yeah. and do that. It was just taking too much time. Yeah. And you guys have, you know, built this, you know, I like that shirt it says physically cultured, you know, like you've built this culture and this kind of community around strength and barbell and just, just stuff yeah. that I don't, you know, I mean, it definitely wasn't there in 10 years ago and it seems to be growing and right. it's diverse. It's super diverse. Yeah. I, I think it was there. It was just like a small tree in the forest isn't really noticed. Yeah. Um, you know, I've kind of laughed, um, 
going back, you know, some people say, man, you guys are actually, you know, you're lifting at the conference. And I kind of thought back and I found an old picture from 1997 from the NSCA coaches conference in January. And I remember, I remember that day because I had done my, it was my best set. I had a 95% for two sets of five. I did uh 232 in the snatch for two sets of five, which at that time was, was, was like one of my better lifts. And I found the picture from it, from the 1997 conference. Nice. So I'm going, we were still doing the same thing. We were just little and, <laughs> yeah, <missed yeah>. it. <laughs> and you know, or I remember Roger Marandino talking one day when in 2001, 2002, and we were, uh, doing speed squats with 405 in the, in the booth with it when the first tendos were out at the conference. And I remember Marandino bringing that up and he's like, and he even said, those guys at Sornex are over there training right now doing yeah, this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I look back and say, you know, I push back a little bit, say we've always done it, yeah. but we weren't maybe good at marketing or we weren't successful enough to people for people to take us seriously. And kind of the culture that you're seeing it's just really the culture that, that kind of my dad started and that I've always wanted. And I guess it comes with success. You could start kind of making your own rules. So that's what's happened. And, you know, you look at like an Aaron Osmus, you know, 16 year division one strength coach. Um, You know, he's, He's certainly what we consider a tree guy. He has a tree of coaches that yeah. have come out for him. He was a he was a Moffat guy, and then he's had a tree of coaches behind him. And people say, "Oh wow, you know, you you hired strength coaches." I said, "No, I hired my buddy." Right. You know, Aaron and I <laughs> threw against each other in college, yeah. and and when he and I were, he was at Tennessee, I was at South Carolina. Between throws, we were twenty year old kids discussing. How much are you front squatting right now? Yeah. Are you okay? What percentage of your snatches are, is your is your clean and all this stuff? Like we were very very interested yeah, in yeah. having those conversations. I went to the Sorenex side. He went to University of Tennessee Southern yeah. Cal and had a career of it. And so it's kind of fun now that we're large enough and have enough power that we could start pulling these people from our former life that culturally we got along with great. Right that just so happened to go and be successful as well. And then we kind of said, Hey, let's maybe do some things and tweak it and change the strength world because this is what we've always believed it should have been or what we wanted it to be. But now we have the, the momentum and maybe the, the artillery to do it. So in some way it's been, it's been a seed that just didn't have the, the right water or the fertilizer for a long time. But, but, you know, of course, now that we, we started doing it, then it's, it's just pour the gas on. Yeah, totally. No, it's been cool to see. And it's definitely been growing like uh, events like Summer Strong. So mm-hmm. sure started off as your dad's birthday, right? Just getting yeah. some guys together <laughs> yeah. to have a barbecue and train. Sure. And now you just had the uh, 11th. 11th one. And it was the biggest one because you got biggest. a new headquarters. Yes. Maybe talk about a little bit about the growth of that and just like what it's become and what it represents. Sure. You guys. Well, summer strong, like you said, started as pop's birthday party. And again, that just kind of goes back to the ethos of what we've always done. I said, what do you want to do for your birthday? This is 11 years ago, almost 12 now. I said, I ah, just let's open up the gym. Let's get to the grills out. Let's cook some burgers, have a couple kegs or whatever, and just do it like we would always want to do it in the old times. And it was just interesting we just lifted and hung out. Well, a lot of people showed up from different spots in the training world, not, not geographically, but we had Josh Hinken with his, with sandbags. That was pretty early in the sandbag world. And then we had Mike Schrock who was uh, teaching, uh, Oli lifting. We had, uh, some professional strongmen, some professional power lifters that all kind of just showed up and, for about an hour, we would do, everyone would do sandbags for about an hour. Everyone would do only lifting. And well, I shouldn't say everybody, but the people who sure. were interested in it. And there'd yeah. be a couple people that said, Oh, I haven't done this before. I'll try this and I'll let you coach me. And everyone started coaching each other. Nice. And then it just, it just happened. No one programmed it. We just <laughs> looked around and what I realized we had 38 people in the room <clears throat> that everyone was really, really passionate about human performance and physical culture. And they weren't tied up in, I'm really good at this, so I'm not going to show my weakness by playing in your yeah, pool. Yeah. I'm going to stay in my lane. People started getting in each other's lane and saying, okay, yeah, maybe I've squatted a thousand pounds, but I don't know how to snatch. Please teach me. Nice. And we, by the end of the day, we just went, whoa, that was a really, really interesting experience and almost an experiment. 
the next year it grew, the next year it grew. And, and from 38 people, it was, we had capped it last year at 600 and still had tricklers coming in and had to, and had to turn down a number of people. Um, and then it, it kind of eventually grew into specific speakers we brought in yeah. because we had to have some, you have 500 people show up, you have to have a structure. Right, right. Um, but what we've done, we tried to, again, stay with that ethos of pulling extraordinary people from the human performance field, not just strength and conditioning or college strength and conditioning yeah. or high school, whatever it may be. Um, because I believe if you have only one source of knowledge or a group of knowledge, you only have a, a specific source of experiences. Yeah. Um, so now we'll make sure when we invite our summer strong speakers, number one, they have to be extraordinary. Number two, they have to love it. They have to be a person that would just as willing to be in the audience as to be a speaker. And if they're going to show up and they're going to big time it or rock start, as I call it and get there an hour before they speak, do their thing and roll out. It just tells me that they're, it's not that they're bad. It's just that they don't quite get it. So the event becomes a speaker goes up there, speaks for roughly 50 minutes. Maybe they go real deep. Maybe they say something super personal that has turned out in, into at times. Sometimes they go super Yoda, like a cow deets. Yeah. Sometimes it's a workout. It, it, I give them that hour. They yeah. do what they're going to do, but we program it where we know that different style of people are going to come up and yeah. give you a different experience. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, some people have called it the Woodstock of strength conditioning. Right, right, right. Um, and it, we try to go places that the strength world has not gone before, or the human performance world has not gone before, or they're afraid to go, or, yeah. or no one's given them the go ahead to go. Um, so like this year we had, you know, college strength coaches, pro strength coaches, but we also had a, a survivalist, a homeless survivalist. Yeah. And she travels all over the world and goes on adventures that you know, leave her near dead a lot. Uh, but learning her mindset of how she gets through some of the most difficult conditions and go, does it with glee, in my opinion was worth the whole weekend. Wow. Because if you could bottle that and teach that, I don't care what you're doing. I yeah. don't care if it's a girl that lives in a, in a, in a car and goes around the world and sleeps in a wood pile. That's a valuable skill set to yeah. understand. And so that's what, and because of Sorenex, I get to meet a whole lot of really interesting people. And so that's kind of the cover charge. And then from that, we could, myself and my group could kind of look at these people, these amazing humans that we have in our life and go, wow, I want to share you with yeah. my favorite people as well. And And that's probably one of my favorite things to do is, almost scout and find these amazing people and then introduce them to another group of amazing people and then just kind of step back and see what happens. It's kind of almost like a, a little bit of a chemist where you put different elements right, together right, right. and you step back and see yeah. what compound it makes. Yeah. No. And I think have, having attended one too myself, I think that's what makes it so cool is the experience of it not being a, the same conference because there's just so many you know lecture sure. powerpoint stand there right. and and we i mean we even struggle with that you know and organizationally is how do sure. we better how do people better learn we know right. that we know that people don't coaches preferred method of learning is not listening to someone lecture with a powerpoint for 15 sure. minutes right? right it's all these other things and so how do you change it up, give people different mediums, allow yes. it to be more fluid and more holistic, whatever you right. know, words you want to use. Change but. the context of it. And kind of what we talked about yesterday was uh, some friends and I, we were discussing relationships and how they were built. And one thing we, I don't remember who came up with it. Maybe it was, I don't remember who it was at the table, but uh, it was the, the acronym of, of SET, S-E-T, which was struggle, eat, and talk. And when you talk about how do people learn the most or how relationships were built, we kind of figured that out through anecdotal evidence that a struggle, a workout, a run, um, 
PT, whatever it may be, something that's hard that we all had to get through together. And we got to be vulnerable in front of one another. We showed our strengths, we showed our weaknesses and we got through it. So there's the struggle. And then eating, of course, that goes back to cavemen days. They, they, they sat together and what is eating a lot of times it's the eating and talking It's the debrief. Hey, that really sucked. Or, Hey, you did really good at that. Or back to the caveman days. Wow. You stuck that uh, woolly mammoth with that spear and he almost trampled you. That was wild, you know? And that's how that community is built, we found. So, yes, there's classroom sessions, but also this past year at Summer Strong, we went through 1,500 steaks, 500 pounds of Boston butt, 35 kegs of beer, 150 bottles of wine, and probably 1,200 potatoes, among other things. So we realized that's such a big part of get people to sit down and, and just be together as a family. And, and it's a three day event. So when you walk away from it, I've seen people cry leaving there because it's like when you're at summer camp, you're like, I don't want to go yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I think we've cracked the code a little bit of how people learn the best. And I saw it a lot at NSCA conferences and other conferences as well. Some of the best conversations were going on in the leather couches in the, right. in the lobby. Yeah. And that was what we saw. And I said, okay, how do we capture that and turn it into a weekend of that? Because that was the stuff that I had some of the best conversations. Um, Maybe I had two or three mini beers and I kind of half was remembering and I kind of halfway couldn't understand what so-and-so was saying because he was way smarter than me and I was a little bit tipsy, but I I took two things away from it that changed my training. And, And that was honestly how I used to find out a lot of stuff I would, I would just find the people who beat me on the field and then I would invite them to dinner and then I would buy them beers until they would tell me how they beat me. (laughs) And I would sit there as long as they wanted to talk and I would just do that for a decade and you figure out a lot of stuff. Yeah. No, it's such a great, the breaking bread with people, you know, that whole eating experience is it's, yeah, it's tried and true. And yeah, like you said, from the caveman time, every, every culture and uh, generation has, you know, utilized that to deepen yeah. relationships and right. you know the way that we open up to each other of course and the struggle is a big one too that way you're getting up you're you're getting the oxytocin release you're getting the dopamine relate release but you're also again there's another way to see the fellow man beside you and i and i saw it yesterday at the conference downstairs you had yeah. the it was like an eat and lift it was like a 90 yeah. minute deal yeah. and a lot of us went out into the gym and trained yeah. and someone that was sitting across the room that i had no interaction with earlier I was beside on the platform and we got to talk and I got, I was like, you know, well, I walk away. I'm like, that guy's really strong. Yeah. And now I have another level of respect for him yeah. besides what he was saying in the conference. Like, wow, he's the real deal. He's very strong. And he understands what he's talking about. Yeah. And then we sat down and talked a little bit about lifting and training. And then it was like, wow, now, now I'll consider us friends versus yeah. acquaintances. Yeah, that's cool. And you guys did a great job with that. Yeah, thank you. It's super cool. It's good to build that in. Even I know at the conferences we try and still, you you know, encourage the, you know, early bird workouts sure. or training throughout the day or getting off, you know, getting at some point to get those workouts in. And it's great when they can still see, you know, some of the board of directors in there. Doing oh, that. yeah. So they know like, hey, this is what this organization was built on. Yes. yes it was strength coaches doing this and still our core values. Yes. And, and I'll, I'll kind of hit it hard, but I believe if you're in this profession, and unless you're injured, if you're not actively training, you're being negligent. Yeah. You're being negligent to the profession. That's my, I might make someone mad with that. Right. It might hit some, that might be the conversation <laughs> that that guy gave me years ago that you right. just needed to hear. And yeah. I know I'm not talking to you with that, right. but um, I'll have to have a pretty convincing argument to why someone isn't training if they're in this profession. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Um, so it's, you talked about how great, you know, how big it's grown and that what's, is there a, is there another level? Like how do you, how do you, each year you go back and you're like, okay, we debrief. How do, how is either a, how are we going to pull this off again? That's or how does it, it how do we make it better? <laughs> yeah, we've kind of gotten this. It's terrifying, first of all, doing it because you just, you know, that last year crushed it. And every year I, I do believe breaks the year before. Yeah. 
And so you're on this roll. So there's one part of you that feels like the unbeaten team that you know that next Summer Strong 12 is going to be better because that's just how it works. But there's the other part of reality where you go, okay, there has to be a ceiling to this, you know. And and so you always kind of have to come up with, I believe, slight going back to the 90%. 90% of the of the planning is figuring out that last 10% that people don't expect, but it's going to still hit because the the main focus of it is to give the people the speakers as well as the the audience not just the audience the speak everyone in the room give them an experience that they would rather be nowhere else in the world for those three days and then they walk away and their life and I, it's cliche but their life in some way has changed maybe big maybe small maybe it's a relationship they made maybe it's something but how do you package and do that and that's what 90 percent of, of the effort goes towards um and I hope we could do it again. It's getting pretty tough, though. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. And it's the, so third week in May every year, kind of that Generally, same weekend. Generally, it's, it's kind of like as close to Labor Day as we could get without being Labor Day. Yeah. It, this year, it's May 17, 18, and 19. Okay. Uh, you guys have been awesome. Uh, the NSA has been awesome to uh, to do CEUs the last few years, and it's and it's huge um, because I do believe there's there's certainly continuing education yeah, going 100%. on. It it may be different than what people normally expect. Yeah. And I've had a number of people walk in there. They go, I didn't know what to expect. I literally came for the CEUs <laughs> and I'm blown away, yeah. but that's, yeah. that's great. I'll consider that a convert, you know? And, totally. and it's, it's, if you remember the old movie, the game, yeah. remember where he does the thing and it's like the, the, the whole game is around his reality and they build right, it all out. Right. And remember the beginning of it, the guy goes, gosh, I remember the first time I got to do it because right. it was the surprise. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. when, when I see new people come, I tell them, I go, enjoy it because your first one yeah, is the yeah. one that's the, the eye opener totally. and, and you know get get your rest because it's yeah. going to be a fun ride yeah no i agree totally that's awesome um i do want to quickly touch on because uh, we we alluded to it at the very beginning but uh Sorenex tactical is a mm-hmm. kind of branch now of you sure. guys in in very infant stage but growing yeah. and you've got some cool stuff kind of yeah building out and maybe give us a little glimpse behind the curtain on that sure stuff. well as as many people well know like we do a lot of work in the government space and the tactical space um, from weightlifting equipment side i'll call it the indoor stuff racks benches the normal stuff that we're doing for the college football teams as well but then there's the side that that kind of bridges the gap between the weight room and then the battlefield or or the fire or whatever the the street so we've kind of moved some of our technology and some of our application to outside and then our, our group is called tag tactical applications group and that means uh, tactical, not in the way of, of Molly and Velcro and, and everything and, and all of drab, but tactics that are used. And that could be anywhere from, um, from military style, uh, tactics all the way to hunting, fishing, outdoors, uh, capability courses, things that, that are just more hands-on maybe in the more open space of the world. And so because we have a large reach, to extraordinary people that have those those values and those skill sets we're able to pull our our friends in and teach courses um and tie in different products that hopefully we can make and solutions for the industry that maybe weren't seen before or, or were a rub point just as just as things we fixed in the weight room can now be done outside the weight room and it's i'm i'm an avid outdoors person so it speaks to my heart. It's what I'm interested in. And, you know, I think passion has to be the, one of the big driving forces to anything you do. And it's something that I and, and some of my uh, team is very passionate about. So um, we're here as a, as a service to the industry, if we can be. That's cool. And so what, what can we look for? We, you and I talked about a little bit so we can, uh, that might mean some other, um, kind of courses or sure. one day clinics or stuff like that. Absolutely. At the headquarters at the, at the Sornex tactical, yep, headquarters. tactical headquarters, which is, uh, we have a, a farm, a couple hundred acre farm <clears throat> that's about 15 miles from Sornex HQ in Lexington, South Carolina. So we have our, our gym and our museum and everything at HQ. And then we have the farm outside. Uh, it has uh, 22 acre 
lake. Uh, so we have different water, uh, whether it be fishing, things like that. But we'll also have, you know, little boats and, and we could do some water iterations of training. Uh, we have a thousand yard rifle range. So we're doing a precision rifle course there with Leupold Optics, one of our partners, uh, two 360 degree bays. So uh, we could we could do a number of shooting iterations tied into a gym, an outdoor gym that will be there conference center things like that so it will be um it could be rented out by different uh government entities or private entities if need be we could utilize it for some of our training r&d things like that um but i would love to have a tsac course a practitioner's course that takes that one step further outside the weight room that literally ties into the actual uh, rubber meets the road in, in those scenarios and to get some of the, the massive brains and amazing coaches that the NSCA and the TSAC community has and to maybe put them in a slightly different context that could be, um, we could test out more theories and, and to just basically to be an asset to the community. Yeah, for sure. There seems like, especially with the kind of growth um, of the, you know, strength and conditioning in the tactical setting, that seems like a a perfect evolution of where TSAC is kind of going. Yeah, I hope it is. I hope it is. And I'm very interested to, to see what the, the gentlemen and, and ladies downstairs in that conference right now, what their mindset and what they could put towards something like that and how they could utilize a tool. Um, because I know that we're maybe only seeing a corner of the iceberg on that. Right, right, right. Um, and it's also, though, it does kind of branch across, you know, like you said, all of the different branches of military, first responders, sure. firefighters. It's not just kind of like like where TSAC kind of started, you know, just the SEALs had the strength coach. Right? Sure. Or then it, and then maybe it branched out to Army and Air Force. But now it's now we're seeing and we're hearing, at least from this group of people it's trickling down into the big time regular army and it's going to have an effect across the whole probably all the branches of the all the branches and and even uh, across the world i mean we were in in germany last year for with nato doing some some stuff with those guys and so you're talking all the the uh, the freedom countries out there are doing a similar model you know I'll, i'll i'll wave my american flag for a moment and and say how amazing we are in that space yeah. it's pretty it's pretty evident um i believe you know there's a couple countries that are really doing it right i i would say america is at the top of the list and and that, that's because of stuff like tsac going on and, and it's the information is being shared and the money's being put behind it yeah. um so it's just been it's been fun to see it develop and yeah. you know what's better to to make sure our, our men and women that are serving our country uh, are taken care of with the highest level of, of technology and application and yeah. that's what we want to make sure we remain to be relevant and able to help that fight that's great um, you see so many different coaches like you said uh, and even throughout all these different uh, groups you work with and different people from different backgrounds um, any recommendations this is going to be a kind of a broad question so i'm going to apologize in advance but like (laughs) for somebody just coming out of college or somebody's new to the maybe a couple years in trying to find their way any like just golden rules things you have to do to be successful as a strength and conditioning coach from all these people that you've seen and learned from and get experience with burn the gas that means get in your car, get on a plane, and go see them. You could only get so much. I love podcasts. I listen to a ton of them, but that tells me who I want to go see. Um, articles, great. Read them. That tell, that's an avatar. And, and I look at some of the folks that are close friends of mine that have gone really deep into this industry or that are highly sought out or some of the greatest minds and what i've noticed is they were there for a lot of the stuff they they weren't just textbook people um you know one of my friends matt vincent we call him the drift lifta and that guy has probably lifted in every great gym in the u.s and he had a sales job that allowed him to go all over the country but he made sure that everywhere he went he saved his money from the hotel rooms and just got crappy hotels and made sure that he got extra time to go to these gyms meet the people there 
take them out to eat, give them, you know, <laughs> nice. the same model yeah. that I use. Yeah. And now the guy absolutely knows everyone. Oh. And he's, he has the firsthand story to almost the entire training world right now. And he's lifted with everyone. He's welcome in everyone's gym. And you go, man, you, one way it sounds like you hack the system, but the other way you just put in the work. Yeah, yeah. You just got out there and did it. And that's what I did early in my career. Even my dad did early on. You know, there was, I want to say 1990 or 92, I believe his name was Goldstein that was brought over from Russia. Okay. And uh, some some legendary strength coaches pulled their personal money together and brought him over. And it was one of the first times a Russian coach had come over. They kind of gave the playbook. Yeah. And you look back, it was Johnny Parker, Al Miller, um, Doc Crease. You know, you had some, you know, Boyd Epley, some hitters yeah. of the day. Yeah. My dad was the only one who wasn't a strength coach that threw in his personal money wow. because he was that interested yeah. in that lifestyle yeah. and understanding it. And so I look back and see how many times that he put in his personal money to be places and to see, you know, he got to see the first thousand pound squat by, by, uh, Bob Moran. Uh, and I believe his date in Ohio, he was 10 feet away from it when it happened. And, you know, and I said, what the heck were you doing up there? He goes, I knew something big was about to happen. Mm -hmm. So I got my butt in the car and I drove to Ohio, wow. you know, and you look at it and you go, okay. So part of it is you just got to commit and burn the gas and go there because you only get a tenth of the story when you read about it, when you hear about it, yeah. and you can't ever dive in with that person and see the look in their eye and the fire or the tremble in their voice or whatever when they're talking about their passion yeah. and ask them that question that maybe you never thought to ask them until that exact second. Yeah. And if you don't do it, you'll never get that. And the coaches that I see that do it are the ones that seemingly come out of nowhere and then are all of a sudden in this position and you're like, how the heck did they do it? Because they were building real relationships with real people in real time. And then the other ones aren't. Yeah, no, I love that. Like, I think I, I almost, uh, I, I learned a lot of that by default growing up in Vermont. Okay. I grew up in Vermont and I lived in small towns. Yeah. And when I started realizing this stuff in the strength and conditioning world, I had to learn from more people. None of those people lived in central Vermont and I had to drive. So I had to drive a lot to go. I had to go visit a good friend, Leanne Blinn to learn how to do strongman. She lived Absolutely. in Massachusetts. I Fantastic. drove four hours like, yes, I didn't think twice about it, but you know, it's funny. Exactly. I, no one ever told me, you know, this is what you should do, but like, your passion you figured told out. You. Yeah, exactly. Your passion told you that that four hour drive was okay. Figure it out. Yeah. 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 I talked to Brandon Lilly. He said, I should drive three hours to West side each way right. a couple right. times a week. Yeah. And people go, that's six hours in the car. He goes, yeah, yeah but I was lifting at West side with Louie, right. you know, and you hear these time and time again, or I had Yuri Sedek or Judd Logan or all these yeah. great hammer throwers. If they were doing a clinic in the U S I was figuring out a way yeah, to get there. And didn't have the cash to do it, but you could always find a way to do it. Everyone said, Oh, I don't have the money to do it. BS. You yeah. could always figure out how to do it. Totally. And if you, if you're a person that just the go defaults to that, I don't have the time or money to do it. Then you've just told me, I, I think I did a post the other day. Right. Your excuses tell me everything I need to know about you. Yeah. Yeah. You've just told me that you're going to give up that quickly. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great, such a great, if you take one thing away from this entire podcast, that's the thing you better take away. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. Uh, what's the rest of your year looking like? Kind of winding down or ramping up? Um, it's an undulating ramp up. <laughs> 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 My life undulating period and periodizes. Um, no, we're, we're, we're pretty heavy, hot and heavy and in, into the, to the world of, of making sure things go out the door. Um, our summers are always really, really busy with conferences and then towards the end of the year, we do a lot in the, in the football world. So it slacks off a little bit because everyone's trying to win games and keep their jobs. Yeah. But then the military comes in okay. hot and heavy. So we got to make sure those guys and girls are taken care of. Uh, you know, I do a little bit of outdoor adventuring. That's kind of my, that's my passion. And when it, the weather gets cold and, and the leaves start turning, that's when I, my little tail starts wagging. So yeah. nice. I get to go out and do that. And, and, you know, thankfully as we're doing more things in the physical culture side of that i want to tie in some of that uh that that mountain hunting and adventuring and and things that 
again, it, because in my opinion, it's still a sport. It's still yeah. something you're training for. If you're going to go hike up a 10,000 foot mountain and then haul out an elk, you better be in shape yeah. and it's a sport. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. better train for it. So yeah. I'm very interested in that. So the, the more I uh, engulf myself in there, the more I understand the sport and more I can help out. Cool. Um, Great. Well, if people want to reach out to you after the show, uh, what's the best way? I know you're on uh, social, but yep. what's the best social, way to get Social, Facebook, or Instagram, Bert Sorin, B-E-R-T-S-O-R-I-N. You can follow us on Sorinex. That's our main thing. Or Sorinex uh, Tactical is also on IG. We're, we're probably most uh, active on IG. Um, you could shoot me an email. You could do info at Sornex or Bert at Sornex.com. Uh, reach out to any of our people. We have reps in, in just about every area of the country if you need some help. But besides that, um, relatively easy to get a hold of, I cool. think. Yeah, we'll put all that in the show notes. And thanks again for coming to visit us here at HQ. It's and, an honor. Uh, being out here. Look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Absolutely. Well, NSCA's done an awesome job for so long. We were looking at the looking at the hallway on the way in and you guys have done so much for the industry. It's just a huge honor to be here. Thanks man. It's exciting time for NSCA and for, I think, strength and conditioning and coaches in general. So it really is looking forward to the future. That's right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the NSCA coaching podcast. We truly appreciate your support and we wouldn't be able to do this without you. So keep on listening. If you enjoyed our episodes, please go write us a review at iTunes or Google play, wherever you download your episodes from. Also be sure to subscribe. So you get these delivered to you every other week, right on time. You don't want to miss the next one. Uh, also can, you can go to NSCA.com and check out the episodes there. If you prefer that and as well, check out our new website and everything that's going on. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.